Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. Whether you're looking to buy your first car or your dream car, Navy Federal helps you cruise into the car you want with a monthly payment you can afford. Find out more at NavyFederal.org. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. Don't buckle up, buttercup. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and tuning in every single week. We couldn't do it without you guys, and we're so grateful that you guys stick around and you and you support us and everything we're doing. We're excited about today's episode, but before we get to it, we got to jump into our Patreon question of the day. Patreon question of the day is, what was your last grilling failure? It was yesterday. <laughs> Fail every single day. Last grueling failure? Mm-hmm. Grueling? I think it says grilling. Grilling? Grilling. Like barbecue grill? Oh, grilling. Like cooking Grilling failure. cooking. Yeah. Oh. I thought it said grueling. I, grueling. Oh. Gr- grilling. Grilling. <laughs> Dude, I bought, Les, I had Leslie buy a big pork butt, and I would got one of those ceramic cookers. It wasn't, an egg, it wasn't a big green egg, but it was something similar. And I had never used one before, and I thought I could set it on two two twenty five, and Just leave let it, it go. <laughs> I went to bed, and when I guess that thing got up to about nine hundred degrees, and when I came back out the next morning to check it, <laughs> this ten pound pork butt was about the size of a hockey puck. But the inside, the heart was absolutely perfect. But no, yeah, I just totally torched <laughs> a eighty dollar piece of meat. That was, that was, Dang. That was, uh, that, was, that, was, that was my last pretty smooth move on the grill. How about but, you, Travis? Man, so I, I'll tell you, my grilling failure, I actually bought a, uh, a green egg, and I just quit it. I just I, I said, screw this. I went to the propane. I just shut it, and I was like, I'm done fucking with this thing, and I just turned my propane on, and I never went back to it. So I got one of the Treggers. Oh, yeah? And I love that thing. I mean, man, turn it on and walk away. I couldn't, I can't get my green egg. So I built this custom kitchen thing all by myself around it. And I don't know why, but everybody talks about how easy they are to set the temperature on. No, they're not. And I tried really hard, but mine will not get the temperature set correctly. And I think it's because of the airflow. Um, the way that I built this thing, there's, there's no airflow coming in at the bottom. I have an open space, but I don't know what it is, but I cannot get the temperature adjusted. So I just shut it. That thing's been closed for about two years. Yeah, that's the exact same reason. <laughs> Sad. I did that. You just send it to me. I'll take it. I'll take it off your hands. <laughs> I tell you what. I, I, I tell you what. I did do with that trigger. You have to clean them out every once in a while because the pellet dust will get in there and catch on fire, which mine did. And I had about seven briskets of grease on the foil at the bottom. And when I open, I opened up the 
pit to start cleaning it out. And I lifted that foil up, and all that fatty boiling grease hit me in the leg. Oh, it looks like it looks like a napalm burn. I mean, it's really bad. Like it went all, it went like holes, third degree. Black. Dude, that's like hot grits. You ever Dude, had a hot grits on? Yes, you? on your yeah, on, hit hit the chin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it hurt. I mean, it hurt for a second. Then it burned. It burned so deep, it quit hurting. Oh man. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Those are, the, those are the grilling mistakes Grilling. we've made recently. Grilling. Hey, guys, if you want to sh- ask a Patreon question, head over to patreon.com slash teamneverquit. That's where you can get some bonus content, some really cool swag, and you get some behind-the-scenes content. If you don't already, make sure you join us there. Hey, we got a great guest in store for you guys today, Marine Corps veteran, former police officer and firefighter, and author of Create Your Own Light. Travis Howes is an international touring comedian and motivational speaker who has been igniting top stages around the world with laughter and inspirational messages for over a decade. Travis, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Man, got the whole bio in there. It's I appreciate all here, it. Man. Sounds official. <laughs> Shit's legit. You ought to see that these printouts. Legit. This thing says classified on it. It's got your name on it. What's oh, that? sweet. Oh, yeah. It's a big deal, man. We don't fuck around. No, apparently not. No, absolutely not. I got to ask right out of the shoot, man. What was it like? The because because we'll get and we're going to get into everything because you're you're a former 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 you former or prior marine. I always ask. I like to say Marine Corps veteran. Marine yeah, Corps veteran. Okay. Yeah, former. because when I was in, you were called a former marine. But then one of the commandants changed former marine, um, or excuse me, changed former marine to. You're always a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine kind of thing. So they don't say former anymore. Oh. Ex-Marine, some people go crazy when you're ex-Marine. Sla- I'm you not slapped. that dude. I yeah. don't get all crazy. <laughs> but some people will kick your ass over shit like that. I don't. Um, so it's it's former Marine now. Or, or no, excuse me. And now it's still Marine Corps Marine veteran. Corps it's veteran. very fucking confusing. Okay. I just, whatever people say. Like I, I ask. Yeah, I, one of my best friends is a, he's the Sergeant Major out at uh, First Bat now. Just took over. Really? Yeah, and he, boy, he tuned you up if you ex-marine it. So that's a shout Yeah, he gets you? Oh, <laughs> he's still to this day that I'm a civilian. Kind of pisses me off. You do it just to poke him? I like to poke the bear because cause he was my gunnery sergeant when I was going through officer candidate school. So he, he like, always was redlined pissed perceptually. Obviously, they, yeah. they have, you guys, Marines have talents, especially the gunnies, to kind of just play the game. Mm-hmm. So now every time, chance I get, I like to... Oh, I'll show up without a shave and a gig line that's all thrown off. And boy, man, he, that's, that's. Fuck around and get knife handed. Oh, man, quickly. Yeah, I was so, I was, I'll circle back. What I want to ask you is because, yeah, you're a Marine Corps veteran, firefighter, police officer, and then now you're a stand up comic. Yeah. With the, and I saw the, I saw the, the, the episode where you're talking about you pissed your pants the first time you was it that was that the first time or just one time you got up on stage and you said you pissed your pants or was that real that was just one time man but now that i'm getting older i'm like in my 40s now so like i gotta go a lot now and so sometimes like i can't shut this thing off and i gotta be careful because you'll get the dribble I, I like to tell people when i get so i've been in a have you ever had the back of your knee that's what i asked like have you ever had the back of your kneecap start to sweat because you know you're either in a, in a life life ending situation or a career ending situation we've either forgot you're not getting the crowd's attention and then shit goes real south the only part of your body that you will start to sweat is the back of your knees and then you know you're in trouble yeah you walk around here like people see the back of your knees wet through your pants yeah like what's going on down there (laughs) like you've been wading through water how was it how was the first time you jumped on stage was that was you Man, so that was that was 13 years ago. I was uh, I kind of when I started stand up comedy, I started I was a firefighter at the time, so I just did it for fun. Um, it was very nerve wracking, 
but it wasn't the first time that is when I pissed my pants. It was actually like, a, I want to say it was a third or fourth time. <laughs> and it was, a, but I had a big, big audience because I was actually introduced to a really, um, a professional show at that time. I got lucky. I, I earned a guest spot on the show. It was a sold out show and I'd never performed for, obviously this was only my third or fourth time, but this was a 300 seater, 350 seater. And I went to the bathroom and I tried to pee to go ahead and um, get it out of the way. And man, when I put it up, it wasn't done. My nerves were kicking oh, up. It was real jittery. And that thing started trickle, opening huh? up on me. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. And so there was this big old pee stain on the front of my pants. And I tried to hide it with my water bottle when I was on stage. But it got so big, people noticed it. So I, I had to make mention of it. How, did, how, how it was received pretty I mean, I, I couldn't see the audience's face. but Yes. Yeah, so what I did is I just said... I. I I mean, I talk about it kind of loosely in my book. I looked down and I said, I know y'all see this um, stain on my pants, this wet mark. I, I know you think I pissed myself, but I didn't. I was just backstage and I had an argument with a midget and she threw a drink in my face. <laughs> and when I said that, they lost their corn and it was kind of, I could put my bottle up and it was, that was it. What and it was what it was. I went in for there because <laughs> one, 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 one of your biggest talking points is laughter is the best medicine, which I totally agree with. Yes, sir. And the other one was, uh, hey, look, if you can't laugh at yourself, there's, I'm going to say this, right? If you can't laugh at yourself, there's no reason to laugh, laugh at somebody else. Yeah, if you're going to laugh at other people, you better be able to laugh, laugh at your damn self. We get, a lot, yeah. we get a lot of guys and girls that come through here that they talk about their anxiety, and especially anxiety in public speaking or just anxiety after the wars or after their services, whether that's first responder or not. Do you feel that the – how do you um, – because and I talked about your post-traumatic stress. Do you find that comedy is relieving those symptoms? So, yeah, comedy is really cool for me, the, whether it's comedy or whether it's motivational speaking. Anytime I'm on that stage, the cool part of and it's kind of like my farm. When I go to my farm, I go there to decompress. And so when I'm on that stage, everything I've ever worried about, everything that's ever kept me up at night or troubled me, it goes away because I'm just in that moment with myself. It's almost like an outer body experience for me. And I can see this audience and I'm engaging with this audience. And I don't think about all the things from the past that I, that I went through. So it is a huge form of therapy for me. And uh, it gets the endorphins going. It's just like when you go to the gym or whatnot. I mean, I go a lot less now because I'm an old man. But it, it, you get that rush going, that blood, you feel alive. And that's why I think I was drawn to comedy is because there's a level of vulnerability there when you're on stage. Same as public speaking. And I come from these jobs of vulnerability where you, you are at other people's mercy, whether it's, you know, mercy services or whatnot. So that's kind of what drew me to it. I think, I think statistically the number one fear in, in everybody is public speaking. It is. And then and co it, comedy takes it to a whole nother level because you have to be funny. Yeah. Well, my biggest fear is not being able to do that. And it's, it's really strange. I, I crave it. Like right now my tour schedule is kind of, kind of, I flaccid, if you will, because of COVID, but, um, it's hard to be I've funny over zoom, right? Huh? <laughs> Is it hard to be funny over zoom? No nah, shit. No, I'm killing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't know about you guys, but I'm fucking murdering it over here. Um, no, I, uh, my schedule it's, it's, it's slow right now with, with COVID. I was supposed to be out in Texas for a while too, but I, you know, everything's just kind of, kind of dead in the water. No it's driving me here. crazy because I really want to be on that stage. I was just in Chattanooga. And we had four sold out or three sold out shows. One was almost. And uh, so that was a blessing. And right now uh, I have another show this month at the end of the month. But normally I'm out every single weekend when COVID isn't going. I'm, I'm usually a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, somewhere around the country. 
let's go let's go into Travis. Let's give a little background and flying information before where you grew up, family, how how this how you ended up where you are today. Man, that's a million dollar question. I um I don't know how I got here. I'm just I'm super, super blessed to be in the position I am today, where I am today. I haven't obviously uh made it to the mountaintop, but like you say, every day is a grind and I just kind of um try to do a little bit better today than I did yesterday. And I do have shit days, but you know, I, I remember those good days are ahead. So, so my, my brother says it very well. He's like, you know what? I quit having bad days, shit days, horrible days. I have character building days. Yeah, that's good. That's great. Yeah. I always like to share that. Cause I say that now when people are like, yeah, bad days. Like, nope, just having a character building day. And it's a very heavy one. <laughs> that's right. And you got to recognize it and then you got to work on it and you got to build on it. Shit. I had one yesterday and I had about an hour to myself where I had to think about everything and then I could change the perspective of my day or I could let the rest of the day go south. And I chose to change the perspective of it. And then usually it's, it's all how you're looking at a situation. And I changed that and my day turned out great. Oh, there you go. There's an art to that. I think where'd you, um, so you grew up, did you grow up in South Carolina? Yeah, man. So I grew up in a small town called Bluffton, South Carolina. It's not so small anymore, but when I lived there, it was just one kind of, one kind of road running through no red lights. We had one intersection with a stop sign and uh, everybody knew everybody and it's nothing like that now it's become a big tourist um place on the east coast uh it's connected to hilton head island south carolina uh-huh. um yeah i don't even recognize a place anymore yeah grew up brothers sisters what are we looking yeah, at i had uh, i had one one older sister three and a half years older so i did a lot of um a lot of barbie doll shit when i was young man I grew up uh typical marine. Grew up. Oh, there's one. There's one. Yeah, we're we're all we're we're all questionable. You know, it is what it is. So I think that's why I'm secure because I also had an aunt. She was a stripper. This is a true story. And uh she would put this um clip-on ponytail on the back of me and put me in these high heels and call me Traveline and make me dress around and act like I was dancing. And I couldn't have been fucking eight years old. And Your my aunt? poor dad, man, he was like <laughs> I got two daughters over here. My that's aunt that was a stripper. This is a true story. This was all in the trailer <laughs> yeah, park. That's, bad. That, that's almost, I'm going to have to write that one down because that's almost as good as, hey, hey, hold my beer. Yeah. 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 That's right. <laughs> hey, man. That, that was, was all taking place in a little trashy trailer park I grew up in on, uh, outside of a cornfield in Bluffton, South Carolina. So lots changed since then. Yeah. Uh, you got military in your family? Yeah, so no Marines. Uh, my grandfathers were both in the army. They one fought in the in Europe, and one was in the Normandy invasion. The other was in um, all he, the island hopping campaigns. Oh, both sides. My, nice. My uncle was in the army. My father was Air Force, and I was the only one that went in Marines. Good to talk you out. Your daddy sounds like the smart one. If you joined the Air Force, he was man. He's he's definitely a lot smarter than me. That's I just what we tell everybody on our side too. Is like, look, hey man, if we give you any advice, join the Air Force. I know that's what I would do today. You think I should be a Marine? Fuck no. Go in the Air Force. Have <laughs> Absolutely <a> not. <laughs> you're going to be Marine. You go to the Marines, you're going to be grinding for the rest of your life. And you, can't, you can't wash it off. Can't sleep yeah, it off. And, Marine and your body's going to hurt you. You're going to feel like a 95-year-old man when you're 43. Yeah. Sound like a old Buick firing up first thing in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So after high, you play, you're an athlete growing up? Yeah, so I, I, you know, I played baseball, played all the sports, little league baseball, football. I raced dirt bikes. Man, shit, I was on a bowling league. Um, wow. You're the first. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So I did, I did all of that, but going into high school, um, I got out of sports cause I was, you know, more into chasing girls and cars and being an asshole class clown. You know, I talk a lot about that in my book. Um, so that's kind of, so you kind of, been kind of comedy, you come up through comedy, right? I mean, just class clown, make the family laugh. I'm sure going into the department. Yeah, too. I was always center of attention, man. And it was like, so we watched a lot of Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy when I was little. 
And uh, my mom would, she, she, in the background, she'd be like, don't, don't let him watch that or don't let him listen to my dad's like, shut the fuck up. Hear it anyway. hear this. This, is, yeah. this is important shit right here. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Then I would go to school and I try to, I don't know what it was, man, but I craved that attention. And my father was a big disciplinarian. Um, so when I would come home, I had to, it was risk versus reward. Like how far do I want to push the envelope in school? Because I know I'm getting my ass whipped today. Um, so it was just kind of feeling that out as I was growing up and I actually learned to entertain in school pretty well, where I was uh, one class clown in the eighth grade. And then again, in the, um, in my senior year of high school. See, looking back, that's a good thing. But when you got nominated and, and actually won class clown, your parents were probably like, dude, my Jesus. father was so pissed. He was so disgusted with me. He was like, uh, he said, um, great accomplishment that you bring on your family name, fucking class clown, not most likely <laughs> to succeed, but class clown, really? I, I, and I felt like, because I was a daddy's boy, man. And, and like, I never wanted to disappoint that man. He was everything to me. Uh, so I, uh, I wanted to impress him and, I joined the Marines. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to show you. I can, I can be more than just a clown. Did you ask him about joining the Marines? You just join and come home like, dad, I'm going to be a Marine. Nah, I think he, I think he didn't. I, I just joined. I, I think he, I mean, he knew because I talked about it a lot. I grew up right there uh, across from Paris Island. I grew up literally outside those gates, a couple, like fucking 10 miles away. Oof. We played little league football games at, on Paris on, Island on the all the time. Yeah. And I would watch recruits out there getting smoked. And from being a little guy, I don't know what it was, but I was always drawn to that. I wanted that. So after high school, you went straight into the Corps, or did you give it some time? No, man. I gave it a summer, and that was it. So I graduated in May, and I was in boot camp August 19th of 1996. And I was, I was on my way. How long, how long, uh, what, what, uh, what was your MOS? I was 0311 Infantry. Uh-huh. You like it? I loved it, man. Honestly, it was a time of my life. And it was, I got out, I got out before all the wars. I got out in 2000, but we got to do some really cool stuff, got to experience a lot of, you know, a lot of cool things in that when you, when I think of Marine, I think of everything that I got to do in, in the infantry, all the cool stuff you get to do. You know, I didn't just sit on a base for four years and, and, um, do nothing. I mean, we, we traveled everywhere. We got to ride in helicopters, jump out of them things, rappel out of them and do, do cool shit, jump out of boats into the water. And, and just, I mean, it was just like a big boys club and I absolutely loved it. Were you out of Pendleton or Lejeune? I was in Lejeune, man. Okay. Yeah. With the mosquitoes and shit. Oh, yeah. I've been through there time or three. I've also been in Pendleton quite a bit. And I, honestly, the weather in Pendleton, I think, has got it hands down. But yeah, there's, yeah, it does. There's, there's, you know, inside the Marine Corps, there's different kinds of Marines. You got Guantanamo Marines, Pendleton Marines, Lejeune Marines. Sometimes they cross-pollinate, and you get, like, Cherry Point or whatever. 
<laughs> yep. Well, there's so when you're talking about Cherry Point, now you got Air Wing Marines, and so there's like a different Marine Corps. There's there's the fleet, there's the infantry guys, and then there's the Air Wing. And Air Wing dudes are cool. We all envied them because they had long hair and they looked like civilians and shit all the time. And they could, I mean, they were just more relaxed. And then over there on our side, it wasn't as relaxed. It was more structured and it was more a Marine Corps-esque, if oh, you yeah, will. Absolutely. Uh, we 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 enjoyed that. We had a sense of pride in that. But at the same time, we also envied the other side. Like, man, wish we could relax a little bit like that. They call it swing with the wing. I've never heard that. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, when I was going through um, sniper school, we had beards, long hair, sunglasses on our head, pat on backwards, walking around with a desert cami bottom and a green T-shirt, and that's it with like cami paint on our face. We walk into the exchange, uh, to the exchange, and those Marines in Pendleton would lose their fucking minds. They'd lose it, wouldn't they? Oh my god! Of course, I was young and stupid. I didn't. I just kind of poked the bear, <laughs> which was not cool. You know, you never really need to do that to a gunny. But anyway. I get what you're saying. I, you know, I never noticed that the air wing and the Marine Corps, they, they do, they, they're, they're, they're different. Yeah, they're so different, man. And I have a story. I was at um, 29 Palms. We were doing CACs, a combined arms exercise. And we were out in the desert for a couple of weeks. And then one day we had base libo. We got to go to the actual PX. And we're all dirty because we, I mean, fuck, we were living in the field out living there. Living in the dirt, yeah. So no polish on our boots or whatnot. So we go up in there and uh, I'm in the PX. And I remember, I'll never forget the CD. I had this CD in my hand. It's the Gap Band. You dropped a bomb on me. Remember that song? <laughs> no. You dropped a bomb on me. Oh, yeah. There you baby. Go. <laughs> yeah, so that one. I grabbed that CD. I'm going to pay for it. And this gunnery sergeant walks over and just eats my asshole open with a spoon like right there telling me how how nasty i am i need to get some polish on my boots and everything and i'm looking at him like dude we're not from here we're out at we're out at cat but you can't say anything oh you can just say i got him yeah i'll knock the fuck out but i'm sitting there like dude we're in the we're living in the fucking desert over there we're not on on base i guess i think he just thought i was some nasty ass marine living on base it hurts that shit hurt man asked you from a gunny will last a lifetime <sighs> Dude, I had one one time. I had a first sergeant eat my ass while I was in the barber chair on base. So we thought it was cool. We About your to be, haircut? Huh? <laughs> About your haircut? About my haircut. <laughs> I'm in the fucking barber chair because we wanted to be, like I told you, like the air wingers. So we started growing our hair really long. Well, what I would do is I took Vaseline and I would slick it back. And my lieutenant caught word what we were doing. So he came over there and uh, made me take my cover off. And he ran his hands through my hair and it stood up on my head like this fucking long. <laughs> and he goes, get your ass over there. You got 20 minutes to get your, your hair squared away and get back. So I ran over, I'm in the barber chair. First Sergeant walks up and he's like, you need to get a fucking haircut Marine. I'm sitting there with the cape on. <laughs> what do you say? I get me. <laughs> I have first Sergeant, I guess like goes without saying, man, but yeah. All right. Anyway, I mean, most people don't realize, like you said, dude, if you say, if you bat an eyebrow the wrong direction in that situation, you will, they will absolutely tear you up. You know, I think sometimes that they're, they're just baiting you in. And I think that's what he was doing, waiting for me to say something stupid. I, I knew better. See, Navy so people don't. don't. They'll pop some, they'll, some snide ass remark. Anyway, yeah. That's the Navy. I could talk proudly. <laughs> Navy. I, I talk proudly about it. I serve in the Navy. Dude, I love being on stage doing Navy jokes, man. That's my favorite. Oh, thing I picked world. a couple of them. <laughs> the sleeping bag joke. <laughs> like, I, oh, yeah. Yeah. If you, you know, I'm going to teach you in, in winter training. If you go to hypothermic, you got to get in the sleeping bag with your buddy, naked, yeah. skin to skin. And he starts talking about, I was like, hey, all right, so you do want to do, 
I forget how you categorize, you characterize the tent to tent. Man, I got to be in character to do it. Yeah, you want to go um, face-to-face and mash castle towers? You want to go ass-to-ass? You want me towers. to be big spoon? Are you little spoon? You certainly don't go in head first. Like the well, Navy. the Navy does. <laughs> the Navy does. <laughs> Which I found hilarious because oh, in Sear School and a few other situations, man, we, we had some guys go hyperthermic, and you're like, all right, who's getting in the bag? <laughs> yeah, you do what it takes, man. Oh, buddy. But see, you did hardcore shit. Sear School and all, we didn't, we, I didn't do all that. We just went out and we... We waded through swamp water in, in Camp Lejeune when it was 30-something degrees out and freezing. We had dudes dropping from hypothermia and stuff like that. That's about the the extent of our hard stuff. But at Sears the school, end of the day, no nah, no, nah, bro, trust me. At the end of the day, I don't care where you are and what you're doing. Cold is cold. And I've never held a man so tight in my entire life than after just going <laughs> hypothermic. And I was like, somebody somebody love on me, please. please. And matter of fact... I'll take it from both ends. Get one yeah. up front, get hey, one back. I'll be the pivot man. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, we gotta, we <laughs> gotta get this blood flowing. Let's get weird. We're trying to survive. This is staying alive. Turn the BGs yeah. on, baby. This ain't this ain't this ain't no big deal. We're in we're in yeah. Drawing popsicle sticks to figure out who's oh going my in. God, no. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's honestly at that point, just it, do it. it. People are doing no. People will do it immediately, and you really don't appreciate. You really can't appreciate it unless you've been that cold. Yeah. And then having being able to rewarm yourself through somebody, man, you're just like, oh yeah, all day, like whatever. It ain't gonna be weird. (laughs) So that's why, man, you you don't make friends like you do anywhere in the military. That's true. That's true statement. It's nasty, but it's good. You know so much about everybody in and around you. It's it's a different kind of caring. Yeah, and you know what sucks, man, is like I talk about this a lot um, on my little podcast that I do. I talk about how it's hard for guys like me, like, and I I can't speak for you, but I know our type of people we're more comfortable around our type of people because we've experienced these things. I can't have this same conversation with somebody who lives in my neighborhood. Who's a banker. I can't tell him how cool it is to rub Peter heads for friction yeah. to stay warm. You know what I mean? It just comes across as like you degenerate fuck when I'm looking at him, like how have you not rubbed Peter heads with somebody to stay warm? Like you're not living right. That's that back. <laughs> yeah. In the tribe, it's a safe space <laughs> outside it. the tribe. People, you mean, what do you mean you threw a handful of shit at somebody? Well, he was running his mouth. I told him to quit talking shit, and he didn't. So guess what? Yeah, it's like, and that's funny to me as a 43-year-old man. It, that is hilarious to me where people now are like, that's a little immature of you. I'm like, no, you need to go jump off a cliff because that's fucking hilarious. It is. It, yeah. That's, yeah, you know, not to get into politicals, but that's that's where that's headed. Crying ass shame. So sit you uh, four, you said you said four years of Marine Corps. Did I read that right? Two thousand six six to two thousand. No, so nine, yeah, nineteen ninety six to two thousand. So four years. Okay, all out same spot out in Lejeune. Yeah, Lejeune. We pumped out twice. Um, nothing, you know, nothing exciting. Just a couple med floats. We med, went over south uh, southwest Asia nice. down in the Caribbean. So yeah. So what did you do when you got out? Got out. I became a fireman. I grew up hanging around the firehouses and all my buddies um, were still firemen back home. And so I went back and I was naturally just pulled into that, into that world because it was a perfect fit for me. Dudes were like me. They're playing jokes of grown ass men running around the fire station, half naked, laughing at Firefighters each other. Firefighters are like, sadistic. I got to have some of that in yeah. my life. Not the naked men, but the, well, that too, but just the, the, the <laughs> I, need, I need a glimpse of that every <laughs> once in a while. The nonstop fuckery. I had to have that. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.
With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. See, people think that the military people are sick and demented and disgusted and just out of control with the pranks that we play on each other. We, we more than likely got a lot of that shit from firefighters or cops. Dude, I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you knew what your tax dollars really went to, you would evade fucking taxes. <laughs> For the firehouse? Or both. Yeah, both everything. Everything. My kids, they're like, Daddy, look, firemen. And, and I want to be like, yeah, they're fucked up. Don't, don't think they're what you think they are. <laughs> yeah, take, take a hard look. Crazy. Yeah, I, one of the best pranks I've ever heard of, and I never did it to anybody, but they pay, they say if you heat a, they used to do it. At my one of my closest buddies' fire, firehouse, where the rookies were would come in for the first time, fall asleep in the bunk room, they'd they'd heat a wrought iron skillet up as hot as it could go, and then apparently if you dump cracked pepper in a raging hot skillet, it turns into pepper uh, gas. Really, I didn't know. And that. they would so they'd heat that skillet up. Open the door, dump that pepper in, and slide it into that bunk room while them so much is in there asleep. He's like, "That's the funniest shit you ever seen." It's horrible, but it's the funniest shit you ever seen. I can tell you two of the two of the pranks, the best pranks I ever heard that took place in my departments. I wasn't on these pranks, but these are true stories that happened. If you'd like to hear them, absolutely. So one involved a chainsaw. I've told this story before, uh, and the other one's a little nasty. I'm going to tell it anyway. Tell it so, anyway. <laughs> Spare no expense or detail. Yeah, you guys have editing capabilities on here, so that's up to you what you do with it. So first <laughs> one was a paramedic. He was in the firehouse, and uh, this guy was an annoying motherfucker. I knew him, um, so he was an easy target. So what the guys did one night, I wasn't there, but this really this did happen. They tied him down in the middle of the night, turned off all the lights, came in with candles, act like they were having a seance, and then they walked in with a chainsaw running. And the guy's screaming, all right, dickheads, knock it off, knock it off. And they acted like they were going to lay that chainsaw on his chest. Well, then they they turned the chainsaw off. And one of them goes, shit, it's out of gas. Hang on. So he walked out of the room like he was going to go put gas in it. The guy's screaming. Now he's pissed. What he had, he had another chainsaw outside, and they took the chain off. It was just the bar. <laughs> Fires it up, walks in, and it's dark. He couldn't see. He's running it. And he lays it on the chest. The guy had a fucking massive heart attack and almost died. They had to actually rush him to the hospital. <laughs> True story. Serious? Swear to God. The guy, shit. we can talk afterwards and I can give you some more details, but I gotta be careful. But the guy ended up suing the town and he 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 got a big lawsuit out of that. You think? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You ever watch that vet TV that old boy those those guys created? Dude, You're... I was supposed to um one of their people reached out. I was supposed to go do three events with them, but it just never happened because of COVID or whatnot. But Dude, yeah, it's that's the, crazy stuff. The and I was, I was looking, I was excited to do it. But it's so spot never. on. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I showed I showed my brother, and I showed I showed my wife. She's like, I don't get Mark's in our belly laughing. And then I show the why we show the wives, and they're like, that's the you know. They don't get it, right? They don't. Nobody gets it, dude. They hit it on the head when they say, "Hey, look, only only military people need to be on this site because only military people are going to get the humor in this." That's right. Well, firefighters. Well, I know we kind of take it to a different level when we're on a. Boat. Dude, my wife is the same way. She's a she's a very good Southern girl. She comes from a really good family, 
not like me. I'm trashy as fuck. I'm rough as shit around the edges. I like to talk shit. I will say the most outlandish stuff. And she looks at me like, what in the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm just laughing by myself. And I'm like, how are you not laughing? This is great. I get the same shit. I say something from Leslie. She's not, she, I was just like, nah, I'll just take that one. I know what, I know it's funny. Hey, hey, be honest. You ever do this? Like just reach down after a rough day and, and be like, check it out. You know, you want some of that. I'm at the age. I'm at the age. You know. I'm at the age now. For some reason, my wife could smell me coming. She's like, "Don't even come in this room. <laughs> Hit the shower." But you're a you're a cop too. You got kind of like a trifecta, man. You're a cop, a firefighter, and Dude, a marine. I was a I was a cop in the early 2000s, and I was a cop when um, being a cop, you could still be an effective police officer, and you didn't have to worry about. Um, cell phone cameras ruining your life or your career. You could actually go out and do your job and we did it appropriately, but it was out of control back then on, on how much stuff was really going on. And the way that we were able to police versus how cops have to police. Now, I don't know how anybody, I love cops. I work with cops all the time. I speak to cops all over this country and I commend them. And I just don't know how they're able to do this job with with their hands tied the way that they are you know look when somebody does something wrong and i don't get political i'm never political when they do something when you're wrong is wrong i don't give a fuck who you are and if you're wrong for it you you gotta you gotta pay the price for that there's consequences to our actions as human beings whether you're in law enforcement or you're a civilian right so i'm just saying like now I, that job used to be fun it, it can't be fun anymore no i teach police officers at the university up the street and police police chiefs and executive level and I, I i feel for them yeah they're the most hated people in the country most likely depending on the day what day of week it is and i always give them the satisfaction i hope by saying you know hey look i i served my my country you know i went overseas but i got to come home take my uniform off chill out get drunk <laughs> chase girls do whatever i want to act like an ass and then a year and a half later maybe i'd go back over I was like, you guys get up every morning, put your badge on, walk out the door, and you deploy out your front door every morning. I was like, and you don't stop. It's funny you say that because when 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 I speak to uh, merch services, I talk about that all the time. And, and I'm like, when the military deploys, they go over, they leave that shit over there. Of course, they bring some of that baggage back, but they don't have to live and thrive in the environment that fucked them up, mm-hmm. you know? And these cops, they have to go out there and be professional in an environment that is consistently fucking them up. And they have to make the right decision, the perfect decision every single time in a split decision at that, you know, we can, we sit here and talk about this all the time. We can Monday morning quarterback what somebody should have done in the heat of the moment. But if you've never had bullets flying at you, if you've never had a man fighting you for your weapon, because he was going to kill you, you don't really have a fucking opinion in my opinion. Nobody does except for the individual on, on the X right then. Right. You can't tell somebody how they were feeling in that moment. They're like, well, he didn't feel like his, he was, his life wasn't in it. How the fuck do you know his life wasn't in danger? I've fought for my life and many, many times as a police officer, many times. And it's a scary fucking situation. And the hardest part about that is turning that shit off. And five minutes from them, you got to go to a fucking barking dog call. Right. And you got to be composed. You know, when all that juice is running through you and mm-hmm. you just, you just, you know what it's like when you're fighting for your fucking life. I do. And now you got to go and be the calm guy and separate a couple where a man just beat the shit out of a woman and you got to be professional about it. You got to, 
use your fucking manners. Make me make sure I check off all the courtesy boxes. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no time to decompress. I try to share that with people too. Sometimes I get the question, Hey, you know, all these officers that have been, they get training, right? You got, they get training all the time, training on this, this, that. And I was like, yes, they do. But I was like, even in the military at our level, we got trained every single day our entire career and it never came close to the real thing. You see this new goofy shit they're doing in uh, LaGrange, Georgia. Where, and I don't know how true it is, but I saw it on a, I saw it on police posts. They're training their officers to shoot, to not kill. That's a bad idea. That and is I, so stupid. I don't mean that in a negative <laughs> Shooting way. Shooting to wound now. That's what, that's what this is about to go to. People don't understand when somebody's literally trying to kill you, the worst thing you're going to do is give them the opportunity to do that. And shooting to wound. Well, we could talk about this all day. So the, yeah. it, but yeah, we're getting off on a rant. Too. Sorry. Yeah. But no, I, yeah. we're, you know, I'm on the same page. Sounds like, no, yeah, I get it. And you know, it, what people don't understand is police use of force. It's always one level above what the other person is using against you. Right. Stair step. Right. right? So yeah. if somebody wants to cause you serious bodily harm, which could include a broken arm, a police officer is authorized to use deadly force because in that instance, if his arm becomes broken, he becomes incapacitated. His weapons could be, be used against him. So he shoots somebody. And I understand what that looked like, what could look like from the public. Well, he wasn't being killed, but he, but he could be. Could have been. Yeah. I want to circle back, if you don't mind sharing with us, because you, you were involved, if I'm reading correctly, pretty pretty nasty fire that, that kind of puts you in, in, a, in, a, in a place where a lot of our veterans and first responders are living or were living. You want to talk a little bit about that? Is a sofa cap factory? Yeah, it's a tongue twister. It's three S's, sofa super store yeah, fire. Yeah. <laughs> Trying yeah. to say it earlier. It's like, no, nah, forget it. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, yeah, so my whole life uh, with emergency services, I was I was exposed to a lot of um, a lot of trauma in my years in emergency services. And first thing I always tell people is trauma is not a competition. I'm, I don't put my trauma on a pedestal over anybody's trauma because there's people out there who have experienced a shit ton more than I have. But my trauma is my trauma. What I learned from it, what I experienced from it, is unique to me, right? So what I was able to do through all these years, just like most emergency responders, they're able to compartmentalize most of the traumas or a lot of these traumas that they go to. And sometimes in this career, oftentimes there's an event that you can put a finger on that um, makes your mental filing cabinet of all your traumas just spill out. And it sends you scrambling to like pack them back into this mental filing cabinet and it leaves you scrambling, not, not knowing what to do. It leaves you with the survivor's guilt. It leaves you with all the questions of why, all these unanswered questions. Uh, it makes you do the things that I did, contemplate suicide, actually put suicidal actions into place with a gun in my mouth kind of thing. Um, that event was what did that for me. And in the emergency services of our 30-year career, not everybody's going to have an event like that. It, and it may not be any one single event that leads somebody down that road but what it is, is like I was talking about earlier, it's the lifelong deployment into the hot zone, right? Where you spend your entire career seeing dead children, burned up bodies, mutilated animals, um, the worst of the worst scenarios. And then you got to thrive in those environments with your family, raise your kids, love your wife, go to the grocery store and pretend that you didn't just work that 
um, fatal collision right in front of that grocery store the year before where, where a child was hit and killed. Um, that's the hard thing. For me, I was able to be very effective at my job experiencing all of those things until that one event. So Superstore on June 18th, 2007, where we lost nine of our guys in a warehouse fire. Um, one of them was my best friend. Uh, I was, I was assigned to the body recovery team that night on that fire. And I thought I was ready. I thought I was prepared to do what I needed to do, but man, there's just, you can't unsee and untaste and unsmell a lot of these things in life that you go through. And I tell these first responders, it's different when it's people outside of this room, right? When it's, when it's, I'm not taking anything from it, but when it's civilians, it's, it's a little bit different than when it's our own people because it's now it's personal. I had a relationship with all nine of these guys. I knew their families. I knew, I knew these people very intimately. And so when you're looking at them and you're in a store and you're having to, um, when you look at them and you can't even recognize them because of the manner that they're burned in and the, and the ways that their bodies are contorted. One of them, he's, uh, his, his head was completely burned off. His jawbone is, was gone. His helmet was burned off. And all, all we found was his teeth. And you got to identify this person that you have a relationship with. That's, that's a level of, um, we'll turn some screws in your head that I, 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 I can't even explain no matter how much I talk about it. No, um, that, that's, well said. I, and I often look for people who can articulate wh why there's a catalyst that just activates issues in the mind when it comes to emotional instabilities. And the the, the file cabinet spilling out because it got too heavy. That's a good one. I've heard um, nails in the floor, put more nails, opens up, water leaks through, that kind of thing. But that, that's well said. I'm sorry. Yeah, keep going. Well, so with me, um, I don't. Sometimes I'll talk about, you know, in grim detail when I'm, when I'm talking with these um, fire departments or these military personnel or police departments, but, you know, for sake of this, I don't, I don't think we really have to, but, you know, I, we had to locate all those guys that night. And so my, my best friend, Lewis Mulkey was, um, I, and I always tell people he was my best friend. I wasn't his, right. He was just one of those dudes that you, you, you really looked up to this guy. He was a leader. Um, but Lewis had a lot of, lot of dudes that, that loved him. And I, he, he took me under his wing when I was brand new at engine six. And I had a great relationship with him several years prior to this incident. I remember we were working a call. We were both on our knees where a man was murdered and set on fire and we were both on our knees. And, uh, this guy's skin was, was all over our fire pants because we had to put the guy out with a, with a, with a hose because his body was engulfed in, um, diesel, diesel fuel or gasoline. And, uh, when we put him out, we're on our knees and his skin sticking to our pants. And I remember we were pulling it off and we locked eyes and we're looking at each other like, what the fuck, you know, and fast forward four or five years, I'm on my knees next to my friend, Lewis, looking at him the same exact way. And no matter how much I talk about it, it's, um, it never gets easy because that's the way I remember Lewis. And it's hard because when I was, when I see his picture, his real picture, I don't see him like that. I see him like that night where he's laying on his back with his face burned off and his eyeballs burn out of his head and his arms, his hands were missing and his arms are sticking up with just his arm bone, his radius and his ulna with his uh, fire, the, his protective gear, the sleeves were burned off. His left legs pinned underneath his right leg with a piece of iron um, across his leg, a piece of steel that trapped him, you know, as he burned to death. 
and I had to identify them. And it's, um, it's shit like that in emergency services where I tell these guys and girls, look, this can be your first day on the job or your last day on the job, but this shit can happen. And, and I tell them, if you don't think this can be your first day, my buddy Lewis had a fireman with him that day. That was that guy's first day out of the academy. That was his first real call. That was his first emergency service call going to on a fire truck in our city was nine guys got killed and all of them burnt beyond recognition. Ah, damn. So the shit can get real really quickly. And I don't care what city you're in. You know, I know you guys just had that Houston firefighter on. I remember when that incident mm-hmm. happened. I remember it very well. Um, I got a buddy that's a Houston firefighter down there. And I was just like, God damn, man. It's just like, when is it, when does it stop? And it doesn't, it keeps coming. You know, you had a, you had a, a plant in Texas blow up and kill 11 guys years ago. Yeah. You know, we had 19 wildland firefighters killed and there's one guy that lived out of that and had to go identify him. You know, we all have our own stories and you got to be prepared mentally. I tell people, this is the best job in the world, but if you want any kind of longevity, you got to stop lifting the fucking weights, keep doing that. But you also got to exercise this There you go. and you got to learn to use this. And it's no more of this, this tough guy shit. And like you and your brother, you come from that tough guy culture, just like I do, where we used to just bury it. Ah, fuck it. I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it. Well, I think we all know by now you can only handle so much for you really until you really need help. And it's, it's so sad that these, these folks in my profession aren't getting the help that they need. And they're going out and blowing their fucking brains out all over the country because I see it and hear about it all over. It's, it's an epidemic, but most people don't hear about it because it doesn't happen in their jurisdiction, you know, or, or really close to home. And that's the only time most people even hear about this stuff, but it literally happens in departments all across this country. Yeah. And I speak to these people all the time. So I hear the stories and it's just gut wrenching. We've lost three and three, three and four months here in Charleston, two firefighters and a cop from suicide. Yeah. The suicide rate for first responders is higher than the veteran space. It is. And I tell people all the time with the same thing, same scenario I'll go back to. It's like, look, you guys are in the fucking hot zone every day you're here. You're deployed every single day. Every day you step out, you know, when, when, not taking anything from the military, but they get to leave the actual action over mm-hmm. there. They got to come back and at least they're in a, a safe environment and they, they got to deal with their problems. But our, our emergency services people, they're not in a safe environment. No, there's job to be in the, in the bad one. So with me, that incident completely shook me. It rocked me and I didn't know what to do and I wouldn't get help. I wouldn't talk to anybody. Um, I thought, all right, tough guy mode. You know, I'm not going to cover all the traumas that I'd been through in, in previous years, but I'd experienced a fuck ton of it. So I thought, hey, I'm just going to have to deal with this and press on. Well, I didn't talk about it to anybody. Well, I started becoming um, physically violent at work. And when I say physically violent, I was assaulting a lot of people at work. And I don't mean gently either. I was attacking grown men on my job. And it was just kind of accepted throughout the ranks because of the times oh, that's just Travis. He's going through something. Well, it wasn't just Travis. Something changed in me. I was drinking. I was showing up to work drunk. I was a driver of a really big ladder company, a big ladder truck. I was drunk and driving my guys to calls and I'm putting them in danger. Now something was wrong with me. And that's why I talk about these behavioral signs and symptoms of people that are experiencing trauma or traumatic events. Cause it's not just them that they're going to endanger they're going to endanger other people's loved ones. And I was doing that selfishly, but I didn't know what to do, dude. I mean, I was, I was so fucked up and scared. I was scared to get help because I thought it made me look like a pussy and I had a reputation to protect. 
I had to be a tough guy. You're, spe- I had yeah. to, You're speaking the language of probably more than half of everybody out there that's going through the exact same thing. So good on you. They need a mouthpiece. But you turned it all on its head. I mean, look at you now. I did. What it did is it, uh, it took me sitting in a room crying, drinking whiskey, calling my mom, telling her goodbye, and uh, shoving a barrel of a Glock down my, down my mouth, not wanting to live anymore. You guys talked about survivor's guilt with your last firefighter that you had on. And, uh, I certainly had that. I had the whole, um, why am I alive? Why do I get to be here? And they don't, um, I had all these whys and I, I always tell people, I'm like, you got to stop asking those fucking questions because you're never going to have the answer. And if you did have the answer to the whys, you're not going to be happy with it anyway. Suppress so the fuck on, but go help yourself and figure out a way to get out of this funk that you're in. So what happened with me sitting in that room that night crying while this, uh, well, I'm slobbering all over this Glock like it was a fucking metal blowjob, right? I, uh, I realized I need some fucking serious help. <laughs> and I reached out and I got help. But here's the crazy thing, bro. I was very secretive about it. And I was too embarrassed to tell anybody I was getting help. I was, and I tell folks, I was like I was a closet homosexual in the NFL. I was still had an image to uphold. And I couldn't tell anybody that I was getting help. Like I had to go out there and be the tough guy. And I would talk down to guys who would actually start asking um, questions about therapy. Do you think I should go? I was like, dude, if you go to therapy, you're a fucking pussy. And I say, I always say about myself, that's the most cowardly thing I've ever done in my life is I steered other people away from getting help because I was so damaged and so afraid to not look like a tough guy that I probably hurt some of my own people in the process. And that's the one thing that I'm the most ashamed of in my life. I'm assuming you've since circled back to those guys. Yeah. A lot's changed. Um, one, it took me maturing and growing up and realizing, dude, there's, there's no honor in being the proud tough guy. It doesn't get you anywhere, but dead. And it, all it does is hurt everybody around you. I destroyed everything around me, man. I destroyed relationships. Um, I, I started, um, it started affecting my children, um, my marriage relationship with my own parents. And that's what we do. We start shutting down. We don't know how to communicate. That's why I talk about in these classes I teach, I talk about communicating through trauma. It's not easy, but it is very necessary. And it's, we communicate with people we love and we got to learn to communicate with people at work to let them know um, that we're not, something isn't right with us. Something isn't clicking. And we got to figure out a way to work through this versus just burying it, putting up walls and pushing everybody away. Because with me, I made it a, everybody around me is fucked up. Travis house is fine. Y'all just can't deal with me and I'm good, but it, that wasn't the case. Everybody else was fine and I was fucked up. Um, but it took me doing a public speaking event about signs and symptoms of post-traumatic stress in 2016 for me to realize just how powerful that what I'd been through was and what it meant to other people. Uh, when I, when I first spoke about that, I saw the light bulbs going off in other people's faces and the thank yous and all this afterwards, it's, it wasn't anything like comedy. Comedy is, Hey, we get around, we tell some dick jokes. We have a lot of fun. We drink beers and then we go our separate ways. But this was different. This led to people actually getting help. This led to people coming up and saying, dude, after hearing you speak, I went and talked to a therapist. I was on the verge of killing myself and I've completely changed that. And I'm a, I've worked things out with my family um, my kids and I'm better for that. Not saying that I have the ultimate powerful message. That's not what I'm getting at, but it takes people like us who have experienced things to get up 
and to put that pride to the side and share your story for a moment. Because I promise, like you said earlier, there's a lot of people like us that, that it will resonate with. Absolutely. And that's how it turned into this speaking thing and teaching courses. And that, that's where my heart is. That's where my passion is. It's amazing how you kind of open yourself up to, to getting on stage and doing comedy coming from that black hole. Well, I needed it, man, because uh, back then, bro, I was, I was in a bad place. I was drinking so much just to be able to go to sleep because the nightmares that I was having, I was honestly scared to go to bed at night and I would cry like a baby sometimes because I was afraid of what was coming for me. And I know how stupid that sounds, but I knew what was coming for me in the middle of the night. And they don't train you in a police academy. They don't train you in the fire academy how to unsee this shit from at 2 a.m. in the morning when you're trying to sleep. They don't teach you how to deal with that. You know, that the mental health courses that they give these guys is kind of a fucking joke. They give them pamphlets. They give them these books and they're like, well, you need to do A, B, C, and D. But it doesn't come from dudes like us who have experienced it and who have lived it and tells you, you the real gritty truth about this. You're on your fucking own. And if you try to handle it on your own, you're going to end up eating a bullet if you don't get professional help. Some Bottom people line. don't seem to, they don't understand. It's not their fault. But seeing something is one thing. Seeing and smelling encodes it deeper. Seeing, smelling, and then hearing, and then, to, you know, all this. And you have all, firefighters and cops that are all five senses just jamming that into your deep brain and code yeah. and you're encoding all that. And oh yeah, that, that stuff comes to play. <laughs> I talk about that night and how I, I could, I can see them, smell them and taste them. I can, I can still, t I get that. There's a taste that oh, yeah. I had in my mouth oh. that night. And as soon as I get it, I, I mean, it takes me back. Fuck. We're watching last night. We're watching. Um, this isn't a plug for uh, the last kingdom on Netflix, but we're watching it. And there was a body burning on her. I got up and walked the fuck out of the room. And my wife, I, I saw her in the reflection. She hit fast forward because she knows she knows exactly where my head was with that. Yeah, I've been in those situations before, buddy. Yep. I make light of, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've been in there a handful of times. I make light of one of them, though. One of my buddies got blown up real bad, was burnt and everything. And I had him in, had him in, in, in it was me and another one of my buddies named Pez. And we had our buddy that was on the ground and he was, blown up and burnt to shit and i just and i threw up all over him damn because of the smell and then i looked at it because he was still conscious and i was like i'm so sorry i threw up on you <laughs> <laughs> he's like it's okay i mean we had more dimmer all in that motherfucker he, yeah. could, he didn't know what was going on but i did man me and pez across across the bench from me just hosed him down and it was that smell the people don't that flesh burnt flesh god y yeah bless. you don't you can't yeah, you can't recreate that if you try. No, I don't want to either. No. So where are we at now, buddy? Where, what's going on? I mean, we we, we like to shit. I appreciate you. I mean, I, we got to get out of that hole, man. I appreciate you sharing yeah. that trauma, those stories yeah, of so, that trauma, because that's you're so relatable. This is about. Does he fucking look like me? Right now, a little bit. I you know I'm mean, sitting there looking you. at him, and I was like, every he, when he puts his head down, and because when I have a longer <laughs> beard. We have like the same eye and eyebrow structure. Yeah, a little bit. It's like, dude, this guy's a wait doppelganger. A Are there three? Wait a minute. There's there may three, be three of you. Of Are there three of you? Uh, yeah, there is now. I call my daddy and make sure he's he's the real deal. <laughs> we gotta get we gotta do a face to face and we'll make a, a little picture montage. Yeah, collage. <laughs> well, I can't really see you. You're like off in the distance on the screen, so it's not blown up, so it's hard oh, for me well. to, to see it. You're the better but. looking of the three, I promise. What they say you're good looking from a distance. Yeah, built for radio. <laughs> good from far but so, far from good <laughs> well to get out of that hole man so i'm excited now because 
you know, I talk about how when these shitty things happen in life, there's all, all these redirecting moments in life. And I, I, you know, I was meant to be a firefighter. I knew I was going to be a firefighter for 30 years. I just knew that I just gotten promoted, even though things were going shitty for me, but I got into a, uh, an altercation at work that led to my demise at work. And, and I was told I couldn't be a fireman no more because the city knew that I was fucked up, man. I was severely fucked up. And so I had to go and my time there was done. And life does us, gives us these little blessings in disguise. You know, we're not always, um, you know, when, when people, a lot of people, they'll lose their job or whatnot, and they think it's the end of the world. And it's not, it sucks at the time, but it's life. And it's the universe redirecting you. If you can look at it from a different perspective to a new place. And that's what happened with me, my life and my story and all these shitty moments put me on the stage so I can go around and talk to my fellow first responders. That's my true calling. And it's to hopefully share a little bit of message and understanding and a little bit of education through, through the streets, not the books, just the street education that I've learned to hopefully keep them safe so they can have some longevity and become effective and stay effective in their jobs and their careers and their professions down the line. Um, so I'm able to speak all over the country doing that when, when I'm not doing comedy. And that's kind of where I am these days. We have a speakers bureau. We look for motivational speakers with life experiences that they can share with, with an audience yeah. that means something. I'm familiar with you guys. <laughs> I think most people are. Um, that was my plug. <laughs> That's your plug. There you go. Good job. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Where can people get I, your uh, book? That that is my passion, though, man. Because I'm gonna tell you, it's it's one thing when you know what it's like when you're standing on a stage and you're sharing your experience, and it feels like family. It's like a goddamn Olive Garden, right? Here, let's all eat these breadsticks together, baby, right? And I don't need. I'm not sitting there with people that I don't relate to. I'm I'm usually in a group of people that are fucked up just like me. They just don't want to talk about it and they don't have the answers. Well, we can't be that old Vietnam mindset where, Hey, I'm just going to keep this shit to myself and I'm going to go out here and slap everybody in the fucking neighborhood. And then when I come home, people are going to think that old man's just fucked up because that's what, that's what we do. We end up going off on everybody and making everybody our enemy, but we're really good people. We just got fucking problems and we don't know how to deal with it. And you, the, the issue that I saw was I didn't, I couldn't talk to anybody because everybody around me. My captain was on the body recovery team with me for this is the 14th year. He and I still to this day have not talked about that incident because he's the way he is. I'm the way I am. And that's the fucking culture. Oh yeah. So that's why we don't talk about this stuff. Yeah. You first responders are steeped in that, that quiet culture, but it's changing, man, but it's not, it's gradual. The reason it's changing is because there are other dudes and girls out there that are starting to talk about this. We have the platforms now. When I was on the job, we didn't, ha we didn't have this shit. We didn't have Zoom. We didn't have fucking um, Facebook and uh, Instagram. Well, we had it, but it wasn't used like it is now. I have a platform now, and I just choose to use it for, for a greater good, you know? So. Right on. My podcast, I, I titled that after the book, Create Your Own Light. And, it's, and this isn't a plug either, but I, don't, I never wanted to do a podcast, but people started coming to me. Hey, man, you need to do a mental health podcast. And I was like, well, if I do it, I'm going to have fun with it. I'm not going to make it about being crazy and shit. So I got like You got to tie it in. You have to, I mean, it's just like being back in the tribe again. We, t we tie all our misery in with humor and fucking with yes. each other. So yeah. you have, you have to, sh that's one thing that you can do really well is teach the civilian population how it's appropriate to do that. That's what I try to do on my podcast, man. I talk shit and I tell people, I'm like, look, if, if you don't understand this, maybe 
maybe you should try to figure out how to understand it. Cause I'm, I'm sure one of you knows a first responder. And when they come to the party, they're the guy telling all the dick jokes and everybody's just uncomfortable. They're like, why is this motherfucker talking about dicks all the time? <laughs> Nobody understands the dick and the cock, the, you know, the, the drawing the cocks on everything. Oh, and the dick I jokes. love a good dick joke, dude. Man, <laughs> it's just a thing. Not a good thing or a bad thing, but a thing itself. You got what you got? Just a thing. Hey, where can people follow you? Like, how can they get your book? How can they get follow the podcast? All that stuff. First of all, I want to back up when I said I love a good dick joke. Oh, God, here it make is. Make sure you don't edit out joke, because if you just edit that to where it says... No, we got, no, we got you. We got I'll you. make we sure got, he just you. loves a good... <laughs> I love a good dick. I'm over right, here. Right, right after I said, hey, man, they fucking look like me. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love a good dick. <laughs> so my whole thing is I can't do what I do without without the support of people. So thank you guys for having me on, for real. Um, I, I Just like everybody else... My, uh, my Instagram is where the thing that I'm trying to, trying to push, if you want to contact me or get in touch with me or see kind of what I do, be a part of what I do. I'd love to love to be a part of it together. Find me at Travis house, just T R A V I S H O W Z E. My website is travishouse.com. My book is called create your own light. This is what it looks like. You know, it's on Amazon. You can pick it up there. I'm happy to do, um, signed copies. I do that for people and I send them out from home. Um, and check me out on the little podcast that I do is create your own light. I don't have guests or anything. It's just kind of me just talking about all this kind of this stuff. And I try to wrap it up into a humorous ball sometimes. Um, and that's it. Love it, man. That's badass. Thanks yeah. for being on the show, man. Thanks for sharing that, man. I really appreciate it. I mean, it's, I've been trying to get with you guys for, for a good while, man. Cause you know, we y'all get it, you know? Yeah. And our listeners, they definitely wanted to hear your story, man. Our listeners kind of, Definitely pushed you up the ladder for us. Yeah. You have such a great way of just moving the needle on things that are important. So keep up the good work. Damn, I appreciate all the fluffing. You're welcome, man. Hey, dude. We're good at that, man. <laughs> <I'm fluffing laughs> I wanted to come out and do it in person because I'm more of a in-person kind of dude. But I know with COVID and all that, it's just kind of fucking weird yeah, and all that. But. I mean, you want to get into the airport. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the show. Let us know what you think. Uh, follow us on social media, teamneverquit.com slash social. If you haven't already, subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>